This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome to UC Santa Barbara's Innovator Story Series. I'm John Greathouse. You can follow me on Twitter at John Greathouse. Our sponsor today is Shiphawk. Shiphawk's software saves companies a ton of money and time by ensuring that their orders are shipped economically, on time, and, and with greater efficiency. So far, the company has helped hundreds of companies ship millions of units. The good news is they're, they're hiring. Uh, they're a Santa Barbara company, and if you're interested in either becoming a customer of Shiphawk and using their shipping software, or if you're interested in working at Shiphawk, stick around after the interview. You can learn a little bit more about what Shiphawk is up to. That's hard to say. We have today, <laughs> we have today with us uh, Bianca Valente. Bianca is a very busy person. It's incredible um, what she's been able to accomplish at her young age, and her future is just amazing. She is a professional big wave surfer. She's a business innovator. She is a media spokesperson, and she's also an environmental activist as well as an activist for gender equality. Bianca surfs some of the biggest waves in the world. Uh, I surf horribly, and I know what it's like to get Maytag by a six or seven foot wave. You feel like you've just gotten beat up by seven or eight really angry people. I cannot imagine what it's like to sit on a 40, 50, 60 foot wave. It's, I imagine it's a little bit like trying to ski in front of an avalanche. Uh, and if you make a mistake, that avalanche is going to catch up with you. Let's take a look at some of Bianca's waves. Bianca is the co-founder of several nonprofits and ventures, including the Committee for Equity in Women's Surfing, uh, Valente and Company Restaurant and Vino Bar, Big Wave Drops for Your Ears, and Super Sessions. In 2018, Bianca was recognized by Outdoor Magazine as one of their most accomplished athletes of the year. She uses her celebrity platform to advocate for gender equity in surfing as well as other sports, and she also uses it to raise awareness around, around ocean health and environmental issues. In 2019, Bianca was instrumental in securing prize money parity with male surfers, making the professional surfing industry the first major sport to compensate men and women equally. That is a huge accomplishment, and I think it's really going to pave the way for other sports to see the light. She's a dedicated teacher, traveler, and wine expert, and she looks forward to winning more big wave competitions so she can continue to shine a light on women's sports as well as the environment. She's a proud graduate of UC Santa Barbara. She studied global studies and sports management, and she literally traveled about halfway around the world to be with us today. Let's give her a very warm welcome. Thank you. Well, good to see you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You are busy, and we appreciate you coming here. Thanks for having and me. Happy Friday. <laughs> Her body clock is not on our time, let's just say. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, so I, you started surfing at seven, and my understanding is, and you were down in Doheny Beach, my understanding is your mom bought you your first surfboard. Do I have that right? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what the surfing, you know, what the Valente surfing family was like. Um, well, nobody in my family surfed, and I was just standing up on my boogie board all the time. And so, yeah, my mom's really cool, and she was like, hey, do you want to try a hardboard? <laughs> And um, yeah, so she gave me like a $75 budget, couldn't find a board anywhere for that cheap, finally found one, then was just instantly hooked. And that, that same week that I started surfing, I decided I wanted to become a champion. Wow. So that's so different from the story that I thought you were going to tell. 
I mean, I did, I've done some research. I know a little bit about your history. But I would have thought, oh, yeah, my dad was a competitive surfer. My uncle won some medal in the 1940s. And so I, I would just assume you're in Doheny. You came from this long line of surfing. So how did your family adapt to that sport for you? It sounds like they must have been really supportive, took you around the competitions. Yeah, my mom, she would, um, she would wake me up before school at like 5.30 a.m. and say, hey, if you want to go surfing before school, you got to wake up now. She's the dream mom. <laughs> yeah, and um, she would just take me to events all the time. Whereas my dad, he's a chef, and he's from Italy. And he was like, no, you surfers are losers. <laughs> Until finally he came to an event when I was 21, and he was like, okay, you're legit. <laughs> <laughs> nice, so. nice. Well, I interviewed Stacy Peralta for this series, and, and, I mean, he lived that Bones Brigade, you know, lifestyle. It was back when surfing was that very, <laughs> very much the rebel, kind of the outsider. Um, not all of them followed the most <laughs> yeah. glorious or moral path. Um, but, but certainly things have changed in the surfing world, and you're helping setting that new standard. So I, I loved it. I saw an interview that's pretty recent one that you did, and, and I loved a quote from there. You said, if I get the quote right, I've been an advocate since I was seven years old. What did you mean by that? So what I meant by that was that every time I paddle out in the water and I'm surfing with all guys, that that is taking action because I'm out there being an anomaly and really shifting the way that people think. Um, and that's been the response all my life is when I'm out there surfing, like guys' minds will open up and be like, whoa, I didn't know a girl could do that. Or <laughs> when I started catching really big waves, they were just like, wow, this is, I never thought this was possible and women really can do anything. So that's been Really cool to watch that happen. That's awesome. And that's been kind of the arc. We'll talk more about that, the arc of your, your career. So you just came back from an incredible conference in New York. Um, do, can you just tell us a little bit about some of the people that were there and what role you played in that? I mean, just pretty impressive. Yeah. So um, does, it, does anybody know who Tori Birch is? She's a designer, and yep. she started her business with the intention of creating a foundation to empower women. Mm. So that was really cool and similar to... Yvonne Chouinard in Patagonia. And um, gosh, yeah, yesterday she just hosted an amazing event with all kinds of legends. There was Dr. Sylvia Earle, who was one of the first women to become an aquanaut, and she builds submarines and goes to like the deepest places in the ocean and conserves the ocean. Um, Claudette Caldwell, who was one of the first women who, one of the five women who wouldn't move to the back of the bus during the segregated times. Um, Ashley Judd, Gloria Steinem, who, I, does anybody, do you guys know your feminist history? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was just really incredible to be around all of these inspiring people sharing their stories of, like, how they've dedicated their lives to advocacy and to helping level the playing field so that everyone has the same opportunities to, you know, keep catching better waves. But it's so cool <laughs> that you're getting recognized in that in that company and that they're you know lifting you up and lifting your voice up um it's wonderful that they see that potential in you yeah. um so here's this is random but i just thought it was interesting so you were tapped by the american girl folks mm -hmm. to help be an advisor on a new doll so my daughter went through that phase and and it's great right you learn so much about history and it's very empowering so the doll that you worked on josh is a is a surfer but she has a hearing impairment so what, how did they approach you? How did that come about? And what was your input in that process? Yeah, so she's Joss. Oh, is Joss, her, Joss is her name. And she is the American Girl Doll of the Year this year because uh, this is going to be the first year that surfing's in the Olympics. Mm. So she is a surfer who's a cheerleader who's also hearing impaired. And um, I, I don't, these people, they just find me and they send me emails and ask me if I want to consult and make sure that everything's accurate but what I love about Joss is that she's different and she can't hear so that means like her sense of spatial awareness is really different and just yesterday I met a mom whose daughter has cochlea implants which mm. is you know when the kid's born almost without any hearing and and um, she was really I said you got to get this girl doll and totally. um, I just love it that there's all new different kinds of role models coming out um, even within something like American Girl Doll. Yep. Um, but yeah, my job was just to like read through the books and make sure that they were accurate for surfing facts. 
crazy. It was fourth grade reading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, good. Good for you. Yeah. Again, just a great, a great experience for you. Yeah. And well, because this is a business innovators class. Yep. One thing that I did learn in that process, though, was that if I gave them, if I shared my stories, my personal stories, that they would sort of like uh, warp them and I'd see them in the, in the text. Mm. And I was like, well, it's not Bianca, the American girl doll. So I just kind of realized like, okay, just do the amount of work that's required, but don't go above because here's this huge company. Right. And um, yeah, it's not the Bianca doll. Right, right, right. That's coming. <laughs> yeah. We will we'll get that. I don't need the doll, yeah. <laughs> that's an action figure. Uh... It'd be a recycled plastic doll or something. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right, right. <laughs> so I know growing up, so kind of going back to your, your younger days, obviously Slater, right? He's been around forever. He's been in this class years ago. Um, you looked up to him and other men, but were there women that you were able to look look up to? I, I did research on Betty Bonsai. Bonsai Betty? Yeah, Bonsai yeah. Betty. Like, she was on the North Shore, but were there really women that you could sort of say, that's what I want to be? No, like, I started surfing when I was seven, like I said, and, and the next week I was like, I want to be a champion. I got a poster of Kelly Slater, put it on my wall, and then didn't realize, like, you know, when I was just in love with surfing, and then once I was a teen and I realized that girls didn't have the same opportunities as boys, I got pissed. Mm. And then, but throughout that entire time, I stayed true to, like, what made me happy, which was just continuing to try to ride a better wave every single day. And um, that's something that I've really, this past year, just come back to because... We, four years ago, we started advocating to just to try to get included to compete at Mavericks, the big wave up in Northern California. Has anyone seen it? It's a huge wave. It's kind of like the Mount Everest of surfing, one of the. And along that, in that process, we created the Committee for Equity in Women's Surfing, and we were able to get equal pay for all female athletes, which was super awesome and a huge victory, obviously. Yep. And then this year, the event was canceled. So we essentially, we still haven't gotten to compete there. Uh-huh. And it was just like, crushed me. And Was it weather? What, what was the reason? No, the promoters pulled out and they didn't want to, like, they said they didn't want to take on the risk You're of having kidding. the event. Yeah, so... It was just from a personal standpoint, wanting to compete, wanting to win, having it as one of my home breaks. I had to really take a step back and reflect and just be like, okay, you know, if I stay true to riding a better wave every day, then that's something nobody can take away from me. Whether Mm -hmm. it's in the water or on the land, that's a choice that we all can wake up every single day and make. So I love that mantra. Yeah, ride a better wave. Well, you said something before we get started that really was very sweet. Like I was telling you, I'm not a very good surfer. And what was your definition of a good surfer? Whoever is having fun. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> like, that's the way it should be. I wish it always was that way out there, but uh, it's okay. I try to stay out of people's way. So you surfed uh, longboard until 16. And it, this is a little bit of a complicated question, but I'm not sure if... So I'm curious as to why you didn't flip over to the shortboard, which is more common with younger, younger people typically like the shortboards. Did it have to do with the fact that here was Bianca saying, I'm going to go pro, I'm going to go pro, I'm going to go pro, and then something happened at 16 that kind of changed your mind a little bit about that? Were those two related, or maybe we should just tell the story separately? But- um, I went on a trip with the U.S. junior surf team when I was 13. We went to Bali, and uh, I was like a 13-year-old with a bunch of high school boys, like 15 to 18, and they were all really mean. And so um, I was like, I don't want to be a shortboarder, mm-hmm. but I still did mm-hmm. it a little bit, but I liked longboarders. They were nice. It was family-oriented, yeah, and yeah. it was just like shortboarding was aggressive and... Yep. angry and so that was what I did after I got pissed <laughs> oh well yeah what did you and that's why I stay away from those yeah. guys did you um did you make a decision at 16 though to not go pro I thought there was a period in there where you said forget it you I sort of burned out um there were pro events so like going pro what is going right, pro right, as right. a surfer it's like as a big wave surfer now like I just told you there's not even any events so right, um right. So going pro is like if you're competing in any events and taking money. And um, I, that was the first time I ever made any money in a surf contest. I, made, I was like $260 or something right like on. that for ninth place I, <laughs> in, in, in an event. Yeah, so. 
Okay, um, so, so you, it was more of just that that's what those guys ride, and yeah. I don't want to be those guys. So UCSB, for those of you who don't know that are watching this, UC Santa Barbara literally has a beach. Like, we're the beach with the school, right? We have our own surf break. It's, it's inconsistent, but it's not bad, right? You can go out there and have it's fun. Good. Did you, when you were picking schools, like, was that what you prioritized? <laughs> Or is that just like, am I making a stereotype here? The no, surfer that picked you. I um, was. I applied to all the colleges that I was interested in, and I was decide. I was accepted to UC Santa Barbara, and the other school that I thought could be interesting was Cal Poly, no, well, San Luis Obispo. And uh, w- my mom brought me to visit campus, and right when I got here, I was like, "This is great. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna. I want to go here. Yes, and I just loved it. Yeah." Yeah, well, you made a good decision, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have one more question, and then I'm going to go to the first student's question, but related again to UCSB. So were you captain of the surf team like, mm-hmm. every year? Uh, no, just but, my senior year. Oh, senior yeah. year. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And I know that for those of you who don't know, UCSB has dominated the surfing. For, I think we have 14 national championships. Yeah. We won each year for national championships. Uh, that was my question. So the 14 national championships that UCSB has, you guys won four of them? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. They haven't gotten any more then, maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. You need to come back. <laughs> yeah. <you>, Red shirt. <laughs> Get enroll in your class. <laughs> so you're way beyond this class. What, what, the question I have is, um, I mean, that's essentially a D1 sport. It's a very demanding sport. Looking back on it, would you, would you do it again? Or, like, if your daughter was thinking about doing a competitive sport like that, would you say no, yes? What? For collegiate, it's you know what in the college program, it's more of just connecting with other people who love surfing, who might have been competitive in high school. It's not super serious on the college events. Um, It's more just getting to know people within UCSB who were also surfers, which was awesome, and I'm still friends with many of those people. And then also getting to know the other. Uh, surf athletes at the other schools up and down the coast so yeah it was a we would have like a kegger once every month and then like there's six events yeah it was UCSB (laughs) (laughs) okay so it was it was a bit more casual yeah it it was it was it's a club sport but it gets you to learn that you you network within that sport so that is a vocation that you're thinking about doing yeah and it's just fun totally Mm -hmm. all right let's take uh first student's question hi thank you so much for being here with us today um, how do you keep a balanced life as a surfer, traveler, and a co-founder of multiple organizations and businesses? Well, um, I just went on a sailing trip from yeah. well, Tahiti. We could talk about it. I was going to yeah. ask you about it. But so one of the mottos on that trip was, uh, you can do it all, but you can't do it all at once. And I think mm. that that's really important as you're like seniors in college and you're about to graduate is to not limit yourself to thinking you have to pick one career and do that your entire life. And so for me, staying balanced every day means waves first. Got to get in the water. And then, you know, just um, it's kind of like taking a bunch of different classes. Like you can't work on your homework for each class in each subject at the same time. So you manage your time and it keeps things interesting and spicy and fun. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's, since we're on it, let's talk about that trip a little bit. So how was that trip organized? Why were you picked? And then what, you know, what were the goals of that trip? Was it just to be mindful with the ocean? And maybe explain a little bit about what the trip was. Uh, so this was a sailing trip from Tahiti to Hawaii. Which is the original, right, migration. Yeah, that's migration. ancient Polynesian route. And so it's against the normal current. And... The reason why I went, to be honest, was because I was just like super depressed and upset about Mavericks being canceled. And that's like, you know, um, that's that. So, yeah. So I was like, screw this. I just want to go do something new. I knew the captain and I was like, hey, can I be part of the crew, please? I want to be part of a team and not like leading a team. And so I did it. It was one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life. Wow. It's uh, the first night as we were leaving Papiete, which is the main island. Yep. We hit 30 knot winds and waves breaking over the boat. And you work your shift, like four hour shift, and you're on watch. 
Um, and the second I went down to my coffin where I sleep, it uh, <laughs> sounded like a war, like just explosions and bang and like, I just remember like my eyeballs bulging and looking over at my, my teammate and being like, is it gonna be like this the whole time? I'm not gonna make it, you know? Um, uh, yeah. This is the real deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're on watch and it matters. You can't just, yeah. you, you gotta be like aware. You have to be just like in business, you have to be ahead of the conditions. So you have to see what's coming and set your sails so that way you're ready. And um, yeah, it was one of the most challenging things I've ever done. It time slows down like really, really, really slow. How long's the voyage? <laughs> Fifteen days. What did it feel like? It felt. I mean, it felt like a year wow. or something like that. Because you have no communication, nothing. Right. We have this little satellite uh, Garmin phone where you could send a like a text kind of. Still alive. Yeah, still alive. And uh, and yeah, you'd just be like, okay, if I. Um, need to wash the pots for cooking that'll take at least 30 minutes like you know mm. um, just trying to figure out what to do read books watch the ocean mm -hmm. super hot and um, yeah looking back on it it was probably one of the best things I've ever done in my I life. I remember we talked on the phone right before you went and you were like I'm just looking forward to like having that moment you know having that time just disconnect just, right get off the phone and all the internet and all that stuff and just yeah so I'm glad you had that time so you got to Hawaii you felt like you were ready to get back at it or like on another voyage no no when you got so you finished oh. the trip yeah and just was reflecting because i had like my sights set on you know this being like a the world champion big wave surfer but then the tour got canceled basically and so just had to reset the mind frame and come really come back to that like right. okay i can always choose to wake up every day and ride a better wave that's like i can always do that so when you were over in Portugal, was that non-competition? Were you just were you just surfing for your sponsor, or what? How did yeah, that go? Yeah. So um, if you're a big wave surfer, it's kind of like anytime there's really big waves somewhere, there, it's an event. Um, be, so you go there and you show up and you just send it um, and get some content, give it, bring it back to your sponsors. Um, but that's basically what. I've had to reframe what in my mind is like an event because there are no events. Right. So right. it's like these are events. Right. Now. There was a, I'm sure you're familiar with it. I, I can't remember the name of it, but there was a show on one of the action sport networks. It was like they followed around big wave surfers and the guys would get the call. Oh, like storm two, chasers. Something like that, yeah. right? Like 2 a.m. Like, yeah, that was a good show. I got to go. Yeah, it is a good yeah. show. You guys could find it online. So let's go back to, let's go back in time. Um, I found this article in October of, of 2019. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's pretty current to when we're filming this. And I, the headline blew me away knowing I was gonna be speaking with you. The headline was, and this is in the local um, college paper, women, uh, sorry, leading the charge, women of the UCSB surf team turn the tides against sexism. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> hold on, I gotta read this. So let me give, read you a quote, it's a little long, but it's, it's in context of all the things you've been um, fighting for. Uh, so they're talking about the guys are taking all the glory for this, you know, on the surf team, but the women are kind of doing all the hard work. So this is a woman being quoted. She says, but behind the scenes, they, the men, weren't running any of the logistics. And a lot of the girls, uh, this is her words, a lot of the girls for a lot of years had the job of being the quote, bitch. Uh, we were the ones pestering people and getting things done and kind of doing all the grunt work that isn't fun and doesn't make you likable. I found that really interesting because there's a lot of organizations where women are kind of put in those roles. Like they're, they're the behind the scenes, just kind of be quiet, don't complain. If there's any, if there's any acclaim, I'll be there for that. Um, and I thought, 2019, like really? Like were you, did you face any of that? I and mean, you were saying it was super chill, like the surf team was kind of fun. Was there also that vibe where if you felt like that the guys were trying to get sort of all the attention when the trophies were passed out or? Not at UCSB, uh, but when the, the reason why it was a fight to be included at Mavericks was that when we asked to participate, we, it was very clear that we weren't wanted or welcomed. Right, and right. so what we did was we ended up appealing to the state of California and saying like, hey, if you're going to allocate 
resources that are public resources, which are the permits to use the water, then, and you're giving it to promoters who are running a men's only event, then you're effectively excluding women from the coastline and that's against our constitution. Right. So we were able to change the way rule makers and gatekeepers think about how they allocate resources and um, yeah, set, set the tone for that and just- So you made that sound, you're being humble, you made that sound relatively easy. No, it wasn't easy. It was, no. You had to form an organization. <laughs> yeah. you had, so people that don't know California politics, there's, we have a thing called the California Coastal Commission. I think it was established in 1970 or thereabouts. And one of its aims is to make sure the beach is, avail, is accessible to as many people as possible. So you can't build big fences, you can't block things off. Um, and so that was very smart of you. You went to them and you said, hey, the beach isn't accessible to us. These folks are having this event and we need to go surf. But I want you to talk about why they didn't want, like what was, what was their motivation for not allowing you to surf? I mean, you could all, there's many reasons, I think. Like, well, um, I read one that I thought was pretty gnarly and <laughs> insane. One of the, I don't know if the guy gave his name or not, but he's like, we don't want them to get hurt. Yeah, so it's just like the guys trying to be protectors or, um, yeah, just there's so many reasons. Like a a common one for me personally will be, well, you're an exception to the rule, but the rest Mm. of the girls aren't ready yet. And I'm like, hey, I'm not a superhuman. Like I worked my ass off to be out here. I didn't just jump in the water and start surfing big waves one day. And so, um, yeah, that's really what is the goal now is like how can we get – more women in the water and more allies on, in the water and on land. And um, how can we collaborate with all of the other sports who are fighting the same fight um, to get equal pay, equal opportunity, equal investment from the youth to the professional level. Right. And just to imagine like it was for in surfing, it took me and my three friends to, to get equal pay for all women surfers. That's a pretty big deal. Imagine if we were collaborating with the tennis players and the WNBA and the soccer players, and then we could just elevate it all at once and really open up the door for the performance because that's like all I've ever wanted and focused on, cared about was performing. But at a certain point, if you don't have the resources, it's a disadvantage. So you, you said something that was very obvious, but not to me, so I'm gonna repeat it. Like, it, like when you said it, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. You were, you were being interviewed, and you, and you said something about the importance of, um, you know, why is it important other than just the, the fairness issue? But, and that, there are other reasons. One of them you stated was, you said, I'm going to paraphrase you, correct me if I'm misstating you, but you were saying, listen, if I get three grand for winning a, an event and one of the guys gets 30 grand, that's like 10 more events he can go to. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's now got a bank a bankroll for far more travel than I do. So part of, part of your argument was, or not argument, but part of the rationale was, it's not just that it's fair, it's we're, we, in, in order for us to compete at that level, we need to go to more events too, and it's hard for us to go to events when we only make barely enough for the flight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, and to be included and in given the opportunity to compete in the, the events. Right, right. So I wanna go back to, your, you're still at UCSB, you're about to graduate, you got your degree, surfing's obviously in your, you guys were national champions, so you were obviously like, that was something you were stoked about. What happened? Did you try to go a pro, or did you try to compete right away? Did you go back to the restaurant? What, what's the path to, and then I'm gonna ask you about how you got to big waves, but what was the path right out of school? Uh, right out of college, I went and started working, coaching surfing at like a women's uh-huh. surf and yoga retreat in Mexico, and uh, I would work for two weeks on, like 14 days straight, and then the two weeks off, I would jump on the bus and take a seven-hour bus down to a wave called Pascuales. That's a pretty heavy wave, and that was just like what I did, and I was just training, trying to figure out how can I navigate these big waves and successfully ride them without getting too much whiplash. (laughs) But So did you, so because of your, because of your longboard experience, is that why you gravitated to, I mean, did that give you an innate advantage? Like you were super comfortable on, on longboards and you've been doing it a long time. 
was that a strategic move to say I'm going to carve a niche out in big wave, or was it just I love big wave and I want to I want to show that we can do it? No, it was just when when I started surfing when I was seven, a wave this big, this small was big. Me too. Yeah, and <laughs> you and I, you get that feeling of like whoa, you know. At first you're super scared, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. And you catch that wave and you ride it and you're like, okay, like what, what's next? Maybe I'll try one this big. Yep. And so it was very incremental. And so it was just, I just kind of ended up surfing big waves because that's, what that's where my skill set took me. Yeah, nice. So your first big wave event was in 2014. Yeah. Had no prize money Mm-mm. for the women. The men, uh, I guess the full purse was 50K. And a promoter gave you 5K mm-hmm. as just like, just like a solid, like, here, you guys did really well. Yeah, or... well, it was the first. No, well, we were invited into the event, and it was the first time we had been invited to compete in the big wave event. And so um, I was excited just to go up and just check it out. Right. And, uh, yeah, jumped in a van, dro- friend's van, drove up to Oregon, and there was, like, snow-capped mountains, mm. 48 degrees oh. out. The water's 32, um, and got the the brakes like a mile out, and I remember asking everybody like, "How do you line up out there?" Because you're just so far out there. And one guy told me, "There's a reverse mohawk that you'll see from the water," and I was like, "What is that?" And then sure enough, I was out in the water, and I was like, "There's the reverse mohawk," really? and it was like a mountain with the uh, trees shaved out, so it was like this empty patch. You know, the reverse mall. <laughs> wow. I thought he was um, just like messing with you. And you're no. Like, <laughs> and then, yeah, I ended up catching like one of the best waves of my life at oh that time. And, and But all the women there would, like crushed it. And we were, it was the first time that big waves were streamed live on the internet. And when we came in, just the response was overwhelming. And it was like exactly what I was saying earlier, like people's minds were opened up and they were like, whoa, we didn't know women could surf big waves. This is awesome. Like way to go. And so then the competitive me was like, well, now we need to be go to all the right. events. And so the one that made the most sense was Mavericks because it was 20 minutes south of my house. <laughs> and um, that's what started the fight for equality, nice. I guess. Yeah. So I, I was in a board meeting, and, and, I'm, and the founder of that company is a, a very good surfer. And, and he was, you know, he's like, wait, come here, John, come here, come here. And he, I come over to his computer, and he's watching you. I don't, this was like maybe two months ago, six weeks ago, I can't remember, at an event. And your pink board, is that mm-hmm. you do your pink board, and it's helpful <laughs> to try to figure out who, who's who, because it's hard when everyone's in a full wetsuit. But we were able to watch you. It, was like, it wasn't a great session because it was just the waves weren't all that great. But it was pretty cool. That was being live streamed. That was at Jaws. Jaws. Yeah. yeah. It was very windy. It was like yeah. 20, Conditions 30 suck. knots wind. And um, you got 45 minutes. It had, we hadn't surfed out there for a whole year because it hadn't broken. And so you just, all of a sudden, you go from zero to a million miles an hour because you're out there in these giant waves with wind in your face. Like as you paddle for a wave, you can't see anything. And yeah, I'm a calculated risk taker. I'm not just like a risk taker. Right, so right, right. I I couldn't get in the rhythm and I wasn't feeling it. Mm, and mm. Um, But I don't think anybody had a great day. No, the but it, that's good. my number one goal is to get a barrel at Jaws. Mm. Very cool. Well, you'll be out there again. <laughs> so let's, I have to, yeah, every time it breaks. Let's, let's take another question. Hey, Bianca. Hey. Um, you've accomplished a lot in your environmental advocacy, advocacy campa- campaigns. Um, in your opinion, what do you think is the biggest barrier to like real environmental progress? And in your opinion, what's the best way to overcome that? I think all the leaders, um, all of our leaders need to get together and make a plan. And, you know, it could take months. But I think that, yeah, we. I think we need equality first. And then people will care about the environment after. Um, because I noticed that, like, when it comes to environmental issues, they don't get as much traction as equity issues. And so I think that that is the arc there. Um, but, yeah, I think it's we really need our leaders to take action because, yeah, things, things are going to get bad. 
if uh, if it keeps going at this rate. And if there's just I just came from New York today, and it's like the consumerism is just insane to think about. Yep. Um, you can't get around. You can't not be a part of the system, and. Um, yeah, so. And you get to see parts of the world that, you know, some of us maybe get to see two weeks of our lifetime, right? So you're, you're seeing some pretty interesting exotic places, and even they're being impacted. Yeah. Um, you know, I was in Fiji a while ago, and even there, the plastic, it's like still beautiful, but you're, you know, it's a bummer. Like, when you, when you see a beach that isn't maintained because it's not run by a you know, hotel or something, it's, yeah. it's real. Yeah, no, so it's just like that. I think it's every little bit counts, and we do the best we can, and just to keep keep that mentality and keep that attitude and stay positive, but we really need the leaders to come together and take action. Yep, and young people. I mean, you know, the young folks like, that are watching this all over the world and in this room, I mean, really, you guys, I think, don't put up with a lot of the stuff that maybe my generation put up with, you know? Yeah. I've had some people on the stage that are doing some great work in environmentalism, including, and like, the final straw, like, don't use plastic straw, like, just carry one around with you. Small things like mm-hmm. that. Or remember when you order a beverage, like, right. no straw, please. Right. And, right. yeah, I think that that's been, like, another key mentality in, in my path is just that, like, it takes a lot of little victories to create a big win. Yep. And so to really just, just embrace it, every little victory whether it's one straw or 10 right. or whatever. I mean, it adds up, right? Mm-hmm. Lids and all, and all those wonderful things. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to, this is related kind of to the Mavericks comment. As I said, there's lots of reasons why you were kept out of Mavericks, some horrible reasons, some um, people thought they were doing you a solid or whatever, all bad reasons, but at least some of them were benign. <laughs> what about the guy that, I mean, I read this and I, I couldn't believe it. I, I had to ask you about it. So you, a guy's making you a board. So they're called shapers, got folks that make uh, surfboards. And he literally had you promise that you'd be safe or something? What was that about? I don't know. You can't, I can't spend my time wondering what like people, you know, you can't dive too deep into the thought process because you're never going to know what someone else thinks or how they feel. But I'm just always like, I promise I'm going to be safe and be a calculated risk taker. So here's my money. Give me the board. And then, of course, later on, I was winning the event. And he's like, yeah, I shaped that. Yeah, that's my board out there, by the way. Oh, That's funny. But, but it's been a big thing about like the ridiculous. It'd be like a woman going to a car dealership and buying, looking at a sports car. And the salesman going, well, I'll sell it to you if you promise to be safe. Like, what? Well, yeah, I guess for me, I just feel like I'm pro-choice. So, wow. yeah. I don't know. You're more patient than I am. <laughs> so we've talked about a parody in sports, uh, in the surfing sport. Give us a little bit of the blow-by-blow, because I know that wasn't easy to get to. So you guys formed the, you formed the organization. You, you made the request. Was it something the guys stepped up to? Was it, did you feel like momentum was there? Or what, what really drove it over? Because soccer hasn't been able to do it. Like what, what did you guys do that drove it over the finish line? It really came down to relationships that we built with the people who are making the rules. And just like those people don't surf, so they didn't understand surfing. So mm-hmm. it was like I just had to explain like here's how a surf contest works. There's a men's division, there's a women's division, and just take the time to be like, hey, here's, check out my videos and my photos, here's me, here's my friends, we're all doing this, it's going to be awesome. And they were psyched because a lot of the women at the Coastal Commission started back in the 60s when um, there were different access privileges just on the coastline for skin color and Mm -hmm, like there had these private beach member clubs like the Jonathan Club in Santa Monica where the women used to have to go in the back door if you were women or you had a woman or you had colored skin you had to go in the back door and they were like yeah we busted down that door we're gonna help you at Mavericks too and then we were just able to keep keep showing everybody that like hey we belong here and this is our public resources. We all pay taxes. And um, it was something that people could really relate to. So something related, um, and we had a chance to talk a little bit off camera, but I, I, I want to hear a little bit of your thoughts on camera about, because obviously some of the logical next steps are women and men competing in the same heats. I know that in Hawaii, there's been some of that, maybe at the amateur level, 
I mean, I love going to Kauai and just sitting there with a drink and watching people surf. That's how entertaining it is. And it's men and women, like, both doing the same moves. I mean, there's no huge difference, I mean, at least to my non-trained eye. So where do you see the sport going, and do you see a day when, when there will be co-ed heats? Yeah, so I see that first we need an opportunity to compete in women's divisions, like our own category of events. And then once we've had that opportunity, like at, for example, the Pipeline Masters, I've always dreamed of surfing there since I was eight, mm. and there still has never been a women's division there. But it's a 50-year-old event. And that's um, and so then I do think surfing is one of the sports where once everybody, once the playing field's level and everyone has the equal opportunity from the youth through the pro, that we could see, um, yeah, maybe women and men will compete against each other in surfing. I, I don't think it'll be like that in all sports, right. just because our bodies are made differently. But I, I think it's a sport that it's, it's a possibility. It's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, shortboarders are doing crazy stuff out there. Yeah. Why did why has Pipeline never opened up? I didn't realize that. There's no women's division. No. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Makes no sense. I know because you, when you think about it from like an innovative and a growth perspective, right? Where's all the growth opportunity? Why not it's open on the it women's up, side? Right to the other fifty percent <laughs> of the population. So. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so what do you say to the, you know, to the haters or what, have you had to con- confront the haters that are like, well, women should get paid what the market dictates. And, you know, the, you heard a lot of that on talk radio with the soccer championship, world championships. What is, what is your, just ignore those people or? Yeah, just keep catching bigger waves, riding better waves, showing the videos and just keeping like action speaks louder than words. Honestly, it's just. Keep going out in the lineup, surfing every day, catching a better wave every day. And it's like, what can you say? Um, I have like a fact sheet that I share with all the other athletes in our organization of like common um, common responses from haters. And mm. here's how you could respond. Mm. So the, just to help empower the other athletes and the newer athletes um, on how to respond and to not let it interfere with their right. psyche because right. honestly, surfing big waves, it's like mind, body, and equipment, and the mind is the most powerful tool that you have access to. So you have to... You have to keep that focus. Yeah, you have to, like, yeah. Very cool. Let's take a couple more students' questions. Do you think that legislation, like the Equal Pay for Equal Play bill, is crucial in creating equal pay for women in sports? I think that it's an important it's an important aspect to create ac- accountability and to be aligned with our constitution. Um, and I think that in in sports that the the quickest change could come from the leaders of the brands investing in mm. the female athletes the yep. same. So I think the legislation is important, but I think that the the corporations can drive the most change, and, and the have you felt has that started to change? Are you feeling that now that yeah. the women have more visibility and? Yeah, I think it's starting to change bit by bit, and I think definitely yesterday's event uh, with uh, with all those females and yeah, that it's starting to change, but it's slow. Like if you look at Patagonia and you dig into their company structure, you'll notice that they actually have like fifty percent female and male employees, which is awesome and rare. But then if you take a closer look at all of the athletes that they endorse, it's like 25% female. So it's Mm. like, well, okay, well, there's something off there. And yeah, sometimes it can just be like, hey, have you been made aware of this? And And what's your plan to shift it? I wonder what the percent money is too, right? So it's one thing that there's 25%, but is it maybe 10% of the money? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. know It seems like that would be something that would be worth digging into. Mm -hmm. Well, it's good to see that that in general, because I know you you have some great sponsors. It's good to see. I mean, I would think it's a great investment, right? That's what I think. It's a great story. It resonates with people, right? You're a great spokesperson. I just feel like it seems like the money would just follow naturally, but... I guess nothing happens overnight. That's right. <laughs> here's a, here's a um, non-serious question, but in a way I think it's important for students because sometimes when, you, when something becomes a profession, the fun mm-hmm. gets sucked out of it, right? So the, sort of the old joke about if you really want to make somebody unhappy, pay them to do something. Mm-hmm. So you're getting paid now to do this. It's a profession for you. 
do you still get a chance to soul surf with friends and just like enjoy the sport? Yeah. Um, well, it's not my main source of income. I'm getting, I'm working to support myself. Um, so like, like I said, like after the big wipeout of having the Mavericks event canceled this year, it really just brings me back to my center to just think about waking up each day and making a choice to ride a better wave, whether it's in the water or, you know, in the classroom, in the workplace, like that's, that's something that I feel is uh keeps me grounded and and true to my soul right okay let's take um we have time for a couple more students questions um hi so my question is uh environmentalism is very important among young people today but it can sometimes be at odds with traditional business models so how can young um, entrepreneurs make sure that they balance the two I think that the businesses with the cause are the ones who are really prevailing right now. That's like uh, the Patagonia model. He's in business. He started that business, and their mission now is to save the planet, and they're doing better than they've ever done. And the Tory Burch, she started her company to right. help empower women, and she's crushing it. And so I think that with all the choices that we can make today as consumers – we can really make choices and choose brands who we align with at the core. Um, and that's something that, that's important to me. And, and um, so I see, I, I'm not a, like a financial model expert. That might be a better question for John. But, uh. <laughs> well, let, let me ask you a question that dovetails onto that to some extent. I know you donate like half of your speaking fees to nonprofits. What, which, what nonprofits are you supporting right now and kind of what gets you excited about? Like what speaks to you from those organizations? Save the Waves is a, an amazing organization and they created a template to, like UNESCO World Heritage. Does anybody know what that is? Yep. Yeah, so they can show the long-term economic value of saving the coastline rather than developing like a harbor or a jetty wall or something like that. Mm. And that is a model that's replicable and it works. And so um, Santa Cruz, for example, is a World Wave Reserve. They just did the 10th World Wave Reserve in Noosa. So I am an ambassador for Save the Waves. Uh, Sustainable Surf um, is an important organization and they're doing something really cool like to offset your carbon footprint you can plant sea trees Mm. Um, and they're also experimenting with different kinds of materials to use to make surf products like they just got uh, some algae blanks Um, so yeah always wanting to stay true to the performance and not sacrifice any performance but definitely doing my part to find the, the most regenerative materials to mm-hmm. source. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let me ask you a little bit about, about the technology and surfing, because it's interesting to watch how it went from, you know, like, I don't know, oak, whatever it was, koa, and then it was balsa, and then it was uh, polyurethane, things like that. So technology's always been driving surfing the short boards, of course. What, I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of the trends now. I know you're doing a different type of surfing, so you've got you know you've got to have you've got to have a big board. But what about things like foiling? Have you done foiling? Yeah. What do you think about that? I started foiling in May, and I love it. I it's bet like, you did. Feels like being a pelican. Is there? A, do you think there's a future for some variation of that technology in big waves, or is it just that's not what you want in a big wave? Um, well, you ride a different part of the wave. You're in front of it. Uh, but Laird, um, Laird Hamilton just caught a huge giant wave at Nazare like two weeks ago. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, was he on a foil? Yeah, he was foiling because he just caught it. You can catch with the foil, you can catch the wave before it breaks. So he was like way out and back. And, um, but yeah, your speed jumps up. So when I surf on my foil, if I catch a wave, that's a foot. I'm going at the speed of a wave that's the size of, like, 12 foot. So you go really fast when you wipe out. It's, it's, I heard it's dangerous. I mean, yeah, it can be dangerous. It's dangerous, yeah, but it's, it's like the feeling is really sensational. Uh, yeah. I love watching. And then mm-hmm. you kind of, they paddle, they pump back out. Mm-hmm. So you really never stop moving, yeah. unlike regular regular surfing. Uh, have you ever done anything with the electronic boards? I, I, I know some, there's some folks out here that will surf up. Uh, there's a, like a motor on their stuff. <laughs> So they're actually, I don't know how it works, but there's some sort of a mechanism. Yeah, I haven't done any of that. In San Francisco, it's a marine sanctuary. So there's no jet skis allowed. um, And 
Yeah, I would be open to trying an electric. A, I think it's smallish. You know, it's like a like a scooter type motor. Or doesn't yeah. Um, they, I've talked to somebody, he said it was a blast. <laughs> yeah. have, have you been to any of the, like Kelly Surf Ranch or done any of that stuff? So you've been there? Tell mm -hmm. us about that wave. It's for those of you that don't know, um, Kelly Slater, is, uh, with, along with some other people, is building an artificial wave with the hope that it could go national. Like you could be surfing in Michigan, right, on a lake if you could use this technology. Yeah. So, so what's, it, what's it like? So it is like a chairlift, like when you're skiing at the mountains, imagine a chairlift, and, but at the base of the chairlift, there's a train, and the train has a wedge connected to it, like a big foil, and so as soon as the train starts moving, um, it's the wedge creates the wave and so it just spins down this like long two times as long as a football field body of water and it's um, it's a perfect wave every time it's really fast it's really fun it's it's weird because it's a industrial like they're like okay ct2 it's your turn <laughs> and then it's like boom 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 because because the train's coming and then it's so it's 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 trippy and you're surfing facing a fence the whole time uh. um so it's a cool because you get a consistent platform to practice on which is like a dream come true if you want to learn new tricks and then it's also, it's not the same as being out in the ocean and really connecting with nature where you're right, around right. dolphins and seals and whales. And but it's to me, and I haven't done it obviously, but to me it's sort of like the, the idea of skateboarding took off in the middle of the country because they didn't have waves, mm -hmm. but they could kind of do some of the moves. Do you feel like it'll catch on? Like, is it, yeah. you well, think, so folks that don't have access to a beach? It's cost prohibitive. So that's the only, that's the thing is like, it's cost prohibitive. So it's not accessible. So if they figure out a way to make it so that people can actually like access it. It uses a lot of energy apparently and Yeah, and it's 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 very expensive. That's how I met you is I'm here because of one of your former students who's a VC. Sometimes they will hire me to come to the wave pool. Oh, cool. So I that's the only way I've got So a bunch of VCs were falling in the wave pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, that was good. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll get there. So you're, you know, you are a celebrity. People look up to you. Do you have a, a favorite fan moment? Like if somebody surprised you, or like somebody said something, and you're like, "Oh, I am making a difference." Um, yesterday, this little girl just her mom is an Air Force One pilot, and she loves surfing. This little girl, and she just came and like gave me a big hug and like wanted to get a picture with the Shaka. <laughs> and those are the moments to me, like I don't think of myself as any kind of a celebrity, but I like, those are the moments that mean a lot to me because that's just been my dream since I was a little girl was just to have those opportunities. And so, yeah, that's what keeps me moving forward too, is thinking about like me using my voice right now, it can make a difference for those kids. So yeah, that's, Good. It is making a difference. Yeah. No doubt. Let's take, uh, I think we have time for two more students' questions. Uh, what would be your best advice uh, for a woman struggling with inequality at the workplace? <laughs> My best advice would be um, to st stick together, like to unity is important and gives you strength. And so, like, yeah, just document everything, write it all down, but stick with your, your allies and keep building your ally network. And um, yeah, I just watched that movie on the plane today, Bombshell. Mm. Did you see that? It was pretty mm. good. Uh, well done. But it's not easy, so just hang in there. And But yeah, advocate. Advocate and, and use your voice and try to make a change so the next people don't have to deal with it. Hello? So opening up a restaurant often has a high rate of failure for small business owners. What factors do you think helped you make your restaurant a success? Well, uh, our restaurant... Dad. Yeah, well, because he's a chef. So <laughs> this is his life. So he's been a chef since he was 14. So it's his lifestyle. It's his passion. That's his... He follows his heart. He's there six days a week prepping. Mm. For at 12... At noon, he gets in and preps. He's there until 10 p.m. On Mondays when we're closed, 
He goes, he cleans the hood and does bookkeeping. And then I show up and support and do the front of the house and anything else that's needed. But um, yeah, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's not something you do for money. You do it for the love. So that's been, that's who I am. I, I follow my heart more than my like head. <laughs> yeah, well, that's translated into your surfing career yeah. and everything else. Yeah. So I have, I have two more questions. I know there's some kids in here. I know for a fact there's one sitting right there um, who wants to get into the surfing industry, but maybe not as a professional surfer. Like, what opportunities are there for young people that, you know, maybe they're decent surfers, but they're not going to be winning championships? What else can they do in that industry? You can do anything. I mean, geez, it's like, what do you like to do? Because uh, I think that the opportunities there to really play any kind of role you want within any brand, create your own brand. You could start a brand for women. You could. Um, but yeah, I think just like I remember my first job was at the surf shop when I was 16 and just getting in the community, showing up at the surf rider, pick up the trash days at the beach. Uh, volunteering for local organizations is yeah just get in the in the community and be an active member and then find you know find your path yep and you had talked about getting in you networking essentially when you were at UCSB and you're competing even though you were having fun you were effectively networking within the community so we've talked about that right you know I'm talking about you you're sitting right there um, so there are definitely things, but one thing is just jump into that community, right? You get in there, you start meeting people, and then opportunities that you didn't know about start, yeah. start opening up. Yeah, and just take a job, like take whatever job you can get in the beginning. Right, right. Yeah, give surf lessons, whatever. Yep, um, crush it, and then just keep going. But, you know, you're, like, I'm still shocked that Pipeline's not open. Like, I just assumed it was. Like, you could become an advocate for that. Like, just, you know, help try to open up some of these events for women, I would just think that would open up all kinds of doors. Yeah, that's what, no, that's what we're doing. We just it, we just uh, helped pass Resolution 2012 in Hawaii, and that basically says that you have to, if you're going to be allocated public resources, they need to be consistent with the federal constitution as well as the state of Hawaii and all the other states, basically. Um, and so it's going to require a women's division for any event from so now it'll on. It'll happen. Yeah. So it'll happen. Will be this year. Not sure. Right. But right. yeah. Cool. Yeah. You think you'll? Are you going to try to compete? I know that's not really the segment you're surfing in right now. But I would love to, and we'll see when it happens. You know, like I, I've got, I've got a lot of fight left in me, but you never, <laughs> you don't know how long your body's going to hold up. Right. Right. Uh, that's just the way it is. Totally. So. Well, my last question is kind of on, on that note of you never quite know what you got left. What would you, what do you, you know, looking, like, let's say you could look back 40 years from now, what would you want your legacy to be in, sur in the surfing world? Like, what would you want men and women surfers to, when they say Bianca, big wave Bianca, what, a, what do you want them to be saying? I've always wanted to be known as an athlete and for my skill. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, I would love for 40 years from now for people to look back and be like, wow, she was an awesome athlete. But I think what they're going to remember me for is my work in helping achieve equality in sports. So I feel um, honored to have that privilege and opportunity to use my voice as an advocate as well. But hopefully they'll remember both. Yeah. So I mean, you're on, you're on video. Both. The video's not going anywhere. But, yeah. That's weird. That's thank you so much for making this work. I really appreciate you. it. So really quick, guys, um, my name's Sean Hughes. I am a UCSB grad. I sat in these chairs. I think it's ridiculous I'm up here right now. <laughs> like, literally, this, I used to dream about this, and I'd think, wow, I hope one day I have something important to say, so we're going to find out if today's the day. So a little bit about me. I graduated in 2016, and how many of you are seniors now? How many of you have crushing debt and have no idea how you're going to pay it? That guy's the honest one right there. I like that. I was the same way. I used to watch John up here, and he'd interview some of the coolest people, people who invented EA Sports. And I'd think, man, that could be me one day. But how am I going to do it? I didn't have a clue. So I remember taking the TMP 122 class, and John used to ask everybody, 
Are you an ATM operator or a bank robber? What do you guys think? Are you an ATM operator or a bank robber? Who, who's got an answer? See, the class didn't have an answer when I was in the class either. So let me tell you what that really meant. So an ATM operator, somebody who is going to be making, they go to an ATM and they know exactly how much money they're going to be making every month. It goes up by 2 to 3% every year, and they get life insurance. Congratulations. And with the coronavirus, that might be pretty valuable right now. But <laughs> I thought of myself when he finally described what the bank robber was. A bank robber doesn't know how much money's in the vault. They love planning it. They love the heist. They love the thrill of it. They love to find out how much money's really inside. Okay? And that's a little bit of what it's like to work at a, uh, a startup like Shiphawk. I have no idea how much money's inside. I'm here because I want to solve something. You know, there's a lot of companies out here. There's a lot of people hiring. You know, you're going to have a lot of chances. But not every chance is the same. Not every company is the same. And you're going to learn that some bigger companies are really nice. They're going to pay, they're going to match that 401k. But that's not really how you're going to build wealth. So how many of you actually come from like a single family? Have a single parent or you're, par you're putting yourself currently through college? Hey, there's another honest guy right there. I like that. That was my life. I was a server. I literally worked at the boathouse. I was living off those tips, and I was paying my rent off those tips the same way. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to need a job after college. Living in Isla Vista was chill, but I'm going to need to really start doing something that's going to make a meaningful impact in my life and hopefully a meaningful impact in my parents' life, my mom's. I mean, that was the dream, right? She sent me to college hoping that I'd be something more, which I'm sure many of you are here trying to do the same thing. So props to you. Hope you make it through. <laughs> and that's why when I found Shiphawk, I remember the interview with the CEO, right? This guy, he has the ability to hire me or fire me. Who knew how it was going to go? I started crying in the interview. Well, uh, first off, he asked me why I do it. And I'm like, oh, my mom's got MS. I got a niece that has a daughter. I want to I wanna be... I don't want my sister to be a statistic. So I, I got a little weepy, and I walked out of there. I was like, I'm for sure not getting that job. <laughs> but you know what? It turned out he actually took a chance on me, and he hired me. And the most important thing I learned, when you find something that's right for you, it's going to feel right. You're going to struggle with it. It's going to be hard. But if you give it time, you'll actually really see that you can make a difference, and that's what it's like to work at a startup, right? At a bigger company, you can be a cog, you can make a decent living, but if you're at a startup, every day the work you do has meaning. Everything you can feel. Whether, whether we're making our sales goal this year to could be totally on my shoulders. I could be a part of something bigger than myself, and that's what I loved about Shiphawk. We are trying to make businesses more competitive. Who here uses Amazon shipping? Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm not surprised. Me too. But what we don't realize is that two-day service that's for free that we don't pay anything and we love, I order books all the time. What company is going out of business because they can't offer the same thing to you? And Amazon makes billions of dollars while this company is going out of business, and that means people are being let out of jobs. What could be your jobs one day? Because Amazon's just trying to own everything. I mean everything. So it's important to note that what you do and what you choose has an impact. And when I found Shiphawk, I felt that impact. I literally had someone on the phone one day and said, Sean, we're actually going to be able to stay in business because of Shiphawk. I was shook. I was shook. I didn't realize that what I was doing actually had meaning. So... I think what's really important to think about as you guys are pursuing new jobs and you guys are looking towards your future, what is the problem that you want to solve? What is going to have the most impact on your life? And it may seem small and it may seem like it doesn't have a lot of value, but I guarantee you the things that, mean the, uh, that seem the smallest satisfy the soul the most. 
And somebody who's really going to tell you about the values is Kirsten. Hello. Hard to follow Sean, but I'll do my best. Um, so my name is Kirsten. As he said, I am Director of Customer Success at ShipHawk. I'm also a former gaucho. Um, I graduated in 2013 and immediately joined the workforce. Like, I got a job. I was very lucky. I got a job immediately out of college. I got to stay in Santa Barbara, which was amazing. But I wasn't really thinking about who I was going to work for, right? You're, you need a job. You've got student loans. You signed a lease somewhere with your friends, and they're like, Kirsten, how are you going to pay rent? You still are not employed. What are you going to do? So you apply for anything. You're just throwing resumes out there. You're casting a wide net. But how many times are you actually looking at the company and looking at their values and looking at what they care about and if that lines up with what you care about? So I highly recommend you take a look as you're applying for these jobs because it, they may make it seem like they could pick anybody, right? There's just, it's really hard to get a job right now. It's not. There's jobs everywhere. You are picking a company where you want to start your career just as much as they are picking an employee. So I recommend what you do is you take a look at that. What matters to you? So for me, a couple causes I really care about. I am very passionate about the environment. I'm very passionate about gender equality. I'm very passionate about these things because they matter to me. Do they matter to the company I'm applying to? Do I see them showing up at the events that I'm going to? Do I see them supporting causes in the community that I care about? Because you really need to decide if you're going to just start a job or if you're going to join a company. Those are different things. Are you joining them or are you just gonna show up, do the work, get the paycheck and peace out of there? So think about what you value, think about what matters to you, uh, think about how you wanna show up to work every day and if that company is showing up in the same way that you are. So if you see them out doing beach cleanups, if that's what matters to you, apply to that company. Look at where the jobs are. See what they have available. Um, if you're at a Pride event and you see a company that has a table there, check out what kind of jobs they have. See if that's something that aligns with what you want to do long term. Um, so know that as you're coming out of college, it's going to feel like you need a job, which, trust me, you will need a job. But the important thing is to make sure that you are also picking a company you want to be a part of. So for me, I picked ShipHawk. Uh, it, it's, it's something that really aligns with what I believe, uh, a lot of my values. Um, and that's been very beneficial for me. I've been able to do a lot there while I've been there. Um, and I think that it's something that really has fed me as a person as well as literally fed me, they pay my paychecks. So <laughs> it's definitely a little bit of both. But um, that's basically what we want you guys to think about as you're looking at jobs. Obviously, we all hope that you look at jobs at Shiphawk as well and see if those align with your values. But we will be outside here to answer any questions. We're easy to spot. The name is literally on our t-shirts and you just saw all our faces and we talked a lot. So uh, thank you guys for your time. Uh, we're really excited to turn it over to the people you're really interested to see. Um, so we are going to do that now. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.